Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I want you to find with me our text for tonight. And I hope that you'll get excited as you can for God's Word tonight. Would you find Acts chapter 17 tonight? Amen. Alan, Harmony, and the whole team, thank you guys for leading us in worship. How sweet is it to just be able to put away the distractions and worship the Lord? Amen? Amen. Yes, we all have distractions and troubles and worries, and there is no better place to be than in the presence of the Lord with other believers worshiping Him. I want to say thank you guys for being here tonight with us, and uh, I've already met some of you who it is your first time, and if that's the case, uh, you're the most important person in the room to us because you're here willing to try out uh, our ministry, you're here willing to worship with us, and thank you for being here tonight. Uh, View family, aren't you grateful we have guests in the room tonight? Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for being here with us, and uh, we want to connect with you. We don't want this place to just be one where we slip in and we slip out, or we rush in and we rush out, uh, we want to connect. We want to be a family. We want to be present. And so if this is your first time here, my name is Daniel. I serve as the college pastor here at The View, and we would love to get to know you. Now, if this is your first time, there's two ways. Uh, one of them is if you want to stop by that table back in the back, we have a gift for you. I would love to meet you. I'll be back there afterwards. Um, we would love to get to know you if you want to stop by that table. Or you can text the famous number, and we will reach out to you this week just to tell you a little bit about our ministry and ask you about your story, where you're in school at or where you're working or where you're from, and encourage you in your journey. How many of you need encouragement right now? Amen? All right? We're getting towards halfway point of the semester. Uh, there are times that we need encouragement. So seriously, thank you for choosing to spend your Monday night worshiping with us. We are really glad that you're here with us tonight. And so, God bless you. I do want to talk to you for a few minutes um, before we worship again about the topic that we've been talking about. And so if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, uh, write down at the top, if you will, it's not just campus ministry. It's not just campus ministry. An incredible group tonight. We're glad that y'all are here. And we're continuing our series this week five of our sermon series, It's Not About Me. We've talked about an array of different topics. Uh, for time's sake, I won't recap those, but tonight we land with campus ministry. Um, this idea we've been talking about tonight uh, of sharing the good news of Jesus, but even greater than that, building relationships with people that are gospel relationships, right? Adrian Rogers, who is a pastor here at Bellevue, before I ever uh, came to Bellevue, had a, a quote. He had many, many, many quotes, but one of the quotes that he had was, uh, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? That at the core of our faith, at the core of our whole ministry is relationships. In fact, you hear it said very famously that it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. At the core of our connection to Jesus Christ is a relationship, right? Like we have a personal relationship with our God. He is involved in his creation. He cares about your day. He cares about your morning and your night. Right? Like we have a personal God. Well, at the core of our gospel sharing, at the core of our relationship building with people, there has to be just that, a relationship. We cannot bypass that. And so one thing that I love to share whenever it comes to campus ministry before we look at Acts 17 is that um, it is a long and slow process when it comes to building relationships with people. One of my friends is here tonight uh, with us. His name is Frank. I haven't had the chance to say hey to him yet, but he's here with us tonight. And, and one cool thing about Frank is that I got to see him at University of Memphis today while we were doing campus ministry. Now, for some of you guys, y'all, you know, you have never been to campus ministry. And so let me tell you what it is. It's not a billboard. And it's not flyers. It's not an event. 
I've told my team, I've challenged, we have a core group of students, we have a core group of guys that are coming every week to campus ministry with us, and I've told them it's not an event. Like, campus ministry is not an event. Like, we get there at a certain time, but, like, we are there to have a presence, right? To be, to be. And what we get to do on campus is we have a tent, we have a table, and we want to build relationships with people on campus, not just pass out flyers. That's a part of it because God uses flyers. Not just pass out stickers, but that's a part of it. God uses stickers. I'll share a cool story about that later. But to build relationships with people week in and week out. Now, some of the guys and, and uh, ladies that we have coming to campus ministry have seen the fruit of that this semester, that people they saw kickoff day at U of M, they've seen again since then, and they've been able to build a relationship. With, oh, man, it was good to meet you. Uh, your, your name's Chris. That's cool, man. What are you studying here? You're studying engineering. Well, cool. Let me pray for you in that. And then you get to see them next week. Hey, how's your exam go? Right, like relationship building. One of the cool things about Frank, my, my friend who I'm going to holler at right after this service, is that I met Frank before I was ever pastor of The View at University of Memphis campus. He used to work at Chick-fil-A. And I met him, and we, we just started talking on campus. Like, we just got to know each other. And he came to our old building back in the day when we were there. And now he's doing his master's work. He's doing incredible things. I saw him today. He's here tonight. And what's really cool is I met him almost four, over four years ago on campus. And that's the only connection we had. But every single time I see Frank, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. How's life? And through that avenue of campus ministry, thankfully, in spite of me sometimes, because I don't always want to share the gospel when I go to campus ministry. I'm lazy. Anybody admit they're lazy? Amen? Like, I'm lazy, all right? Sometimes in spite of me, God still gave me relationships that I'm impacted by today. That is what campus ministry is all about. That's why we go there to U of M. That's why we say it's important to get to know people outside of your normal sphere, because those relationships last sometimes an eternity. And so as we talk about this idea of campus ministry, I want to be very clear. It does not mean just you going to your work to hand out a card. That might be the start. The purpose tonight is to look at Paul's strategy for a couple of moments in Acts 17 and look at what he does when it comes to people who are not living for the Lord. Now, where we find Paul, Paul's in Athens. This is a famous text, and I'll tell you on the front end. I've done sermons on this text before, as has Dakota, that are on our podcast, where we went necessarily deeper than I'm going to tonight. And if you want to look those up and listen to them, they're on our podcast app. But tonight, I have three questions that I want you to be willing to ask of yourself. Three questions. And so look with me at Acts 17. We find Paul doing his thing, doing ministry. Here's what it says. We're going to look at verse 16. It says this, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Let's read this again, right? He was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Let's skip down to verse 19. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching that you are presenting. Verse 20 says, Because what you say sounds strange to us, right? He was sharing the teaching he was sharing was the teaching of Jesus, who Jesus is, that he was fully God, fully man, died on the cross for the sins and rose from the grave, that in him we have, as Ross and Ben mentioned, hope, right? We have hope. And they begin to hear Paul's teaching in Athens, and they say, hey, what are you presenting? This sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. Listen, like your first time hearing the gospel, 
sometimes can be strange, especially if you have not come to a place where you realize you've broken God's law, right? Like we in our lives have sin. And you may not agree with me on that, depending on what you believe in, but you can look at our world and tell our world's broken and fallen. And our lives have brokenness, right? Like we have a problem. And so when you begin to hear the gospel for the first time, that, hey, you have a problem, that problem is sin, and in order to do something about it, you have to trust in Jesus who paid the price you could never pay. Well, what you're going to see in this text is that some people don't always respond to that. Just, oh, yeah, for sure. It takes time. It takes patience. And so they say, hey, this teaching sounds strange to us. We want to know what these things mean. They were leaning into it. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new, right? Their desire as philosophers was to find the new thing, hear the new thing, share the new thing. Relevancy was huge when it came to ideas of their world. So let me give you question number one tonight. Question number one is this, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Now, I'm not talking about stupid stuff, right? <laughs> right? That is a good question. Amen. Thank you, Dakota. I'm not talking about stupid stuff, right? After Monday nights, I like to drive to McDonald's. It's a bad habit. I can't shake it, though. Hannah's told me, she was like, you got to eat better after the view. I'm like, baby, it's post-game, right? <laughs> I got to get a QPC. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Large fry. And I was in the drive-thru. I waited in line last week or the week before one of them. And uh, I was needing some food bad. And uh, all, it was a long line. All the cars passed. I finally got up to the window. And then the screen shut off. I just missed it, right? Broke my heart. Ah. Screen comes back on. They say, can I take your order? They weren't that nice. But they're like, can I take your order? I was like, man, thank goodness I dodged a bullet, right? I'm not talking about that stupid stuff, right? Like what breaks your heart. I'm not talking about being left on red by somebody that you're interested in. I'm not talking about that, although that may break your heart. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what we see here with Paul as a deep distress. We as college students know about stress. Right? I don't need to define stress, okay? We know how to stress. We know how to worry. I do. But what distresses your soul? What breaks your heart genuinely? Think about that, because when Paul gets to Athens and he sees the idols, right, statues that they were worshiping, false gods, lower G gods that they were worshiping, right? An idol is anything that you go to as your source, right? Your hope, your joy, your fulfillment, your purpose, that is your God, right? Like wherever you go to find your life and your meaning and your purpose, that's your God, right? And they were going to statues or ideas, right? And that, Paul, when he got there, that broke his heart, right? Like he saw how many people he was surrounded by that were worshiping culture and worshiping idols, and it distressed him and it broke him to his very core. Well, listen, guys, as we talk about this idea of campus ministry, as we talk about this idea of being a witness in the world, you cannot go witness to somebody that you're not broken for. You're going to have a hard time doing it. You have to genuinely get to a point, and it starts with the people in your immediate circle, where you care about where they spend eternity, where you care about where they spend the afterlife. If they're going to be with God who created them and loved them and made them, or are they going to spend eternity away from him? Which all that comes down to what you do in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you trust him? Do you repent of your sins? Do you believe in him? Or do you trust yourself? So generally, like as a people group, as us together collectively, and then you individually, we have to ask, are we broken over the lostness 
in Memphis, in your family, on your campus, at U of M, at Rose, at CBU, at Southwest, and beyond? Does our heart break? Because Paul, I love this, in Romans chapter 9, talks about the anguish that he has for people who don't know Jesus, right? He spells it out very clearly. And he makes a bold statement that a lot of us are not necessarily at the point where we're able to make. And he says this. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, I just got done reading this for my quiet time, which again, at the end of Romans, in chapter 16, all he does is lift off, list off all these personal relationships he has. In chapter 9, he says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow. Say sorrow with me. Here we go. Sorrow. We can do a little bit better than that. Here we go. Sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Have you ever had a kidney stone? I had a kidney stone in the eighth grade. You want to talk about an unceasing anguish? (laughs) Right, like a pain that does not go away, like it's terrible, right? Paul paints this picture of an unceasing pain and hurt in his heart, a emotional, spiritual, mental burden. And here's what it's all about. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood, Paul is saying that he cares so deeply about the lost souls around him that, oh, if he could just cut himself off from Christ in order for all of them to know Christ, that would be his hope. Could we say that? Whoo! That's stout. That's hard. But that's how badly he felt the pain that Christ felt on the cross when when Christ went to die for the sins of the world. Christ felt that that anguish of taking our punishment for us in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Well, Paul is feeling it right here. And he he goes on to say this about the people, that they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption. They should be children of God. Belong to them the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. It's owed to them. God has given it to them, and they're rejecting it. Verse 5 says, the ancestors are theirs, and from them by physical descent came the Christ, who is God over all. Praise forever. Amen. Paul says they have Christ offered to them, but they're rejecting it. And Paul hurts for that. Ben said, put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. That's fantastic. Let's get to that point where we're missionaries. But understand that Christ has put himself on the cross for you. And there are people, maybe in this room tonight, but people we're surrounded by every day who are rejecting the goodness and the graciousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who wants to know you personally. That yes, you get commands, you get a way of living, but you get to know Jesus Personally, do we break that way? Do we hurt that way? So here's what broke Paul's heart. A is, if you'll write this down, if you're willing, cultural idols broke Paul's heart. Cultural idols broke Paul's heart. Paul was a human being no different than you and me. No different. The Apostle Paul, human being, And he looked at the cultural idols in Athens and they broke his heart. You want to talk about idols? Isaiah 45, verse 20 says this Come, gather together and approach, you fugitives of the nations. Says this about idolatry those who carry their wooden idols and pray to a God who cannot save have no knowledge. 
Let's talk about this for a minute. We have idols in our culture today. We don't bow down to statues necessarily. That's not a practice in our American culture, but we have idols today. Y'all shout out to me very quickly in one or two words. What are idols in our culture today? Come on. All right, good. Okay, I got two right there. Money and social media. I heard those. Money and social media. Whoo, those have a strong grip on our culture, do they not? You can respond back to me. It's okay. Those have a strong grip, don't they? Everything in our world surrounds around money. All the music I listened to before I got saved was about money. Every song was about money. My whole world, my whole mind was surrounded with this idea that when I get a certain amount of popularity or money, then I have my value and I have my worth. Money has a stronghold on our world, right? Like money itself is not the root of all evil, right? What is? The love of money is the root of all evil, right? That love has become an idol. And then we talked about social media. I sure am glad somebody shouted out social media because I had the chance to teach a breakout room this weekend on social media. And I will tell you a couple of statistics on social media and our iPhones because I'm sure you have one with you tonight. On average, we unlock our phones 150 times a day. And that number may not sound too crazy to you. Some of you are like, wow, I'm at like 1,000. <laughs> But compared to this, a study found that Gen Z and millennials laugh on an average of 15 times a day. So we unlock our iPhones 10 times as much as we laugh. Do you see the problem? We have a whole lot of a digital connection with people, but we lack a lot of in-person connection with people, right? We're in a day and age where we're always connected, Yet in person, we struggle. I'll give you another one. Some of them are mind-blowing, to be honest. Users, here's the average screen time for an iPhone or Android or Google or smartphone. Three hours and 45 minutes. I taught a breakout room. I don't want to put them on blast, but they're not here tonight. In my breakout room, I had a sixth grader. And I, man, incredible kid. Loved having conversation with him. His screen time was 13 hours. Yes, yes. That's your younger siblings, right? That's uh, soon to be my wife's student in ninth grade, right? Like that's the generation coming up. And if we'd have time, I'd have us all check our screen time for the sake of laughter to hear, but we won't do that tonight. 13 hours. Another one said nine hours. Another one said 45 minutes all across the board. For some, it's an idol. For some, it's not. And here's the last statistic I'll give you on this because I'm glad somebody said social media. It sure is. 40% of people cannot make it through the night without checking their phone. Meaning if you have eight hours of sleep, four out of ten people in here can't make it through the night without checking to see if they have a notification. Right? The four big social media platforms I heard about yesterday, which is probably the same for you, Be Real, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram. Those are the four big ones. And let me tell you, in and of themselves, not Bad. I am not anti-social media. I'm on social media. I'm not anti-money. I've got to eat, right? <laughs> I've got to eat. I wear clothes. I like to shop from time to time. I'm not anti-money. I'm not anti-social media. I am anti those becoming an idol because they have a stronghold on our culture. So let me ask you this. Does that break your heart or are you and I living in it too? That's a hard question. That's a hard question. But it's a question we have to ask. Because that should break our heart today. When we see the grip that money and success and careers have on people, where it's taking them from Jesus, nothing bad about having a career. Let me be clear. But if that is your God, a career makes a really bad God. Money makes a really bad God. Social media certainly makes a bad God. Goodness gracious, they can't, it cannot take care of you and sustain you. 
So when we see lost people around us consumed with the world, does that break our heart or are we consumed with it too so we can't be broken over it? Does our heart break when we see people worshiping things that aren't Jesus? Which is the second thing that broke Paul's heart. B, people who didn't know Christ broke Paul's heart. He saw that, hey, they have lower G gods and none of them are Jesus Christ. None of them is the true God that loves them and knows them. They've made gods and worship them as if those gods made them. People who didn't know Christ broke Paul's heart. Psalm 119, let's look at the Old Testament, verse 136 says this, my eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction. Do we cry? Do we weep? Do we care? When we go to University of Memphis, do we care that a soul's on the line? When you go to your job, God bless you, do we care that a soul's on the line? When we go to our fraternity, our sorority, our sports team, do we care that souls are on the line? When we go to our family, do we care that souls are on the line? If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, do you care that your soul is on the line? At 21, I had to get to a point where I cared about my soul enough to consider if Jesus was real. And I did. And he hasn't failed since. Do we care? Does it break our heart? Because we can't be missionaries if we don't have a heart for the mission. Let me give you question number two. Who are you committed to building relationships with? Who right now in your life are you committed to building relationships with? If you know names, write them down. Praise the Lord for them. Because Paul had a strategy that was personal. Paul was relationship building right here in this text. So look with me at Acts 17. It says, first off, that he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God. And this is verse 17. Look with me because I'm going to ask you what it says here. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God as well as in the marketplace. What? Every day. Every day with those who happen to be there. Paul realized he was made to be a light. Acts 13 verse 47 says this, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul was relationship building. Jesus built relationships in his ministry. Right? Jesus never missed people in front of him on his way to the cross because those people were, who were in front of him were the reason he was going to the cross. So why would he miss the people, the blind man, the Samaritan woman, the tax collectors right there when he's going to the cross for them? I think about Paul when he's in prison and God shakes the prison and frees him and the jailer sees it and the jailer's about to kill himself because that's it, he'll lose his life for prisoners getting free and Paul says, don't! Don't kill yourself. We haven't left. He shares the gospel and the jailer gets saved. Comes to know Jesus. Paul was in the relationship building. And here's how he did it. First off, Paul reasoned with people. You can write that down. The very first thing is it says Paul reasoned with people. Like reasoning means there's time 
You're methodical about it. You're, you're kind about it. Paul continually says, put off bitterness and be kind. Paul was not building relationships with people to win an argument. <laughs> Paul wasn't building relationships with people just to prove that he was right. His whole goal was to get to know them so they could see Jesus Christ through him. He reasoned with people, right? When we go to University of Memphis, we don't hold up signs that say stupid things on them or derogatory things on them. No, when we get in conversations with people, we reason with them. Tell me what your beliefs are. We listen to people. We hear people out. (laughs) Our goal is not just to go there and tell them what we believe. Our goal is to hear what they believe. How many of you know that the lost souls who don't believe in Christianity that you know, how many of you know that they would love to tell you what they believe in if you would ask? Some of us have never asked. Some of us just make assumptions and we assume, no, well, Paul reasoned. He asked. He listened. He spoke. It was not this Christianity that was mean or, or rude. The gospel itself steps over toes, uh, steps on toes, for sure. But Paul was reasoning with people because he cared about them. He wanted to win them, not an argument. Paul reasoned. Do you and I, are we willing to reason with people? But not only that, B, Paul was patient with people. How many of you ever struggled to be patient? Anybody else besides me? My goodness gracious, Mallory, I'll tell you what, I struggle to be patient. Yeah, she put her hand up higher. I like that. I struggle with patience. We all struggle with patience. A study found that 85% of people will put some food item that they know is hot in their mouth anyway because they can't wait for it to cool off. (laughs) So so nine out of ten of us in the room, if we're microwaving a hot pocket, right? We'll put that hot food in our mouth and it will burn our tongue and we know it. Almost, Gabby, nine out of ten people will do that because they can't wait for the hot pocket to cool off. Or if you like me, chicken nuggets. Dino nuggets, amen? I like them in shapes. I'll be honest. They taste better when they're in shapes. Dino nuggets, right? We don't wait. We're in a rush, right? Paul was patient with people. I'll tell you something, Piper. To do something every day, you got to be patient about it. If you're going to do something every day... There's a patience that comes to it, right? That's why I love my wife, because she deals with me every day. There's a patience involved there, right? That's why Dakota thrives in the gym. He's patient with the progress that he makes over time. And he's lost a lot of weight, which is good for him. Praise God. Yeah, we can clap for that for sure. He's lost a lot of weight. We'll see how long he keeps it off once he's married, but good for him. Good for him. Patience. He has, a gym, he has a gym he goes to. He has a routine. He's methodical about it. Well, Paul's whole thing was building relationships with the point of being patient with people. Patient. That it takes time to really get to know somebody. It takes time. And that's where you have to look at your own heart when it comes to evangelism. And here I'm speaking to really people who have been doing ministry for a little minute. Do you really, 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 ask yourself this question, believer, Christian, do you really, really, really want to get to know that person Or do you just want to prove that you can make them a project and fix them? People don't want to be projects. I didn't want to be a project. Don't make me your project. At 21 years old, you're trying to make me a project you're trying to fix? I'm out those doors. I don't want to be here. If you want to get to know me and hear my story and something amazing happens from it, praise the Lord. People don't want to be projects. They want you to be patient with them. And guess what? Here's the amazing two-way street about it. You have the Holy Spirit in you and I have it in me, but we are not Jesus, which means they are going to help us too. (laughs) So as you're patient with people, guess what? They got to be patient with you too. You might just not be the nicest person to be around all the time. (laughs) So you might be saying, well, it's hard to be patient with this person. They might say the same thing about you. 
Paul was patient. But one of the biggest things when it comes to winning souls, being a believer who people want to be around, a Christian that people want to be around, is this right here. Paul was consistent with people. Oh my goodness gracious, the power of consistency, the power of showing up, the power of being the same person day in and day out, the power of being the same person in environment one as in environment two. Paul was consistent. Every day he showed up. Every day he was reasoning. Every day he was sharing the gospel. And he saw mixed results. Some people said, this is strange. I'm out. Sounds like a cult. I don't want it. Some people were like, oh man, I I might hear more of this. And then some people were like, all right, I need Jesus. I'm ready to get saved. No matter what the result was, Paul was consistent with his role. No matter the result, will you be consistent with your role in the kingdom of heaven? Are you the same person? Do you show up in the same way for people? Man, that goes a long way. Who's the most consistent person you know in your life? Like day in and day out. Odds are they're probably in the top five of people who have impacted your life. Maybe top three consistency goes a long way. That's why you see God work through sports because coaches, good coaches are there every single day with the same mindset, the same heart for that team, the same heart for that kid. And every practice has the same goal, consistency. Would you be willing to be consistent in somebody's life for the sake of the gospel? I'll give you this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I love this verse. Paul says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit. Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. For some of you, the word tonight is commit. Commit. If you don't know Jesus, would you consider committing your life to the gospel? If you are a believer who's one foot in and one foot out, would you consider going both feet in and committing? If you know Know that there are people around you that you have built relationships with who don't know Jesus. Would you commit and say, I am going to tell them about my faith in Christ Jesus? Would you commit? Let me give you my last question. Number three, what message are you preaching? What message are you preaching? I'm not the only preacher in the room. Some of you are better preachers than I am. I hate public speaking. I would never have chosen to do this. We might not all be pastors. That might not be our vocation. But all of us are preachers. Before I ever preached from this stage, I preached one-on-one. I taught the gospel. And then I preached in life groups. I taught small groups. And I preached to my basketball players when I was coaching. And messed up every step of the way. My goodness. Mistake after mistake. Embarrassed myself, got rejected, got laughed at by people. Still mess up now. But every single one of us in here are preaching a message. And here's the first way you're doing it. A is your words preach a message. Oh, how our words preach messages. What we say and how we say it. Peter says this in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 and then we'll put that point up so you can get that note now it says but in your hearts regard the Christ Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you your words preach a message what message do you preach 
at your job, at your work, at your campus here in the view. But not only that, B, your lifestyle preaches a message. Did you know that? That a lot more is caught than it is taught. Kids mimic what their parents do. They don't always listen to what their parents say. That's very true with the gospel. A lot more is caught than it is taught. The way you live your life preaches a message to the world. It either preaches a message of lostness or it preaches a message of idolatry or it preaches a message of Jesus Christ. I love this moment in Acts chapter 4. I'll read this. I have one invitation for you. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this. You can flip over there if you want to. Absolutely, it'll be on the screen. It says this. This is talking about Peter. Let me turn in my Bible as well. This is talking about Peter and John, and it's an incredible moment in Scripture, and I'm just going to read straight through it. It says, while they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But look at this, verse 4. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. Verse 7, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means was he healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is, and he quotes the Old Testament, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus and since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, and they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, <laughs> let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. How many know they tried to stop it, but it spread? And we're talking about it 2,000 years later. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. We have free range at our schools, at our work, to talk about Jesus. And they were ordered not to. And this is their response in verse 19. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them. Because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. One of the most encouraging verses. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And all God's people said, 
Amen. I have one final question. C, do they align? Do they align? Does the message you preach and the lifestyle you live align?